This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the lessons from popular culture, the wisdom of the ages, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why we're trying to stop asking responsibility-shifting questions, and we'll talk to legendary Silicon Valley manager Russ Laraway about his new book, When They Win, You Win. Being a great manager is simpler than you think. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, human nature, and the five senses. I'm in New York City in my little home office once again, and joining me today from Los Angeles is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who answers all my questions. (laughs) That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA. And yes, Gretchen, I have a new example of asking responsibility shifting questions, so I'll share that with you when we talk. Okay. Stay tuned for that little foreshadowing. Yes. So before we launch in, in episode 380, a listener suggested that, Elizabeth, that you and I write a book on the model of The Office BFFs, because in that book, the writers Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey took turns in their own voices telling a story going from one to the other voice. And and someone suggested, we should write a book like that. And we were like, we would love to write a book like that, but what should that book be about? And we heard from some listeners. Yes, this um, idea comes from another Gretchen. She says, I have an idea for your sister book. You need to write a writing book. I've always loved that your approach is that habit solutions are not one size fits all. And as a listener to both Happier in Hollywood and Happier, I know that your approaches to writing are also very different and only in part because of the difference in audience format, etc., 
I love a good writer on writing book, but you can get in your head about there being a right way to approach it. I'd love to see that back and forth format about how you each write examining common myths about writing and how they either work or don't work for you and your writer origin stories. I think it would be fun for you all to look for commonalities and differences to highlight. I think that would be so That's fun. That's a fun idea. Yeah. Yes. Elizabeth, I'm going to put that in our pile of things to do because okay. we love to collaborate. And we've said for a long time we wanted to write a book together. We sort of have tried before. Maybe this is it. Maybe a book on writing could happen. Yeah. And speaking of writing, I wanted to mention another book that I wrote, Better Than Before, which is my book about habit change. It's, it's where I write about the 21 strategies we can use to make or break our habits. Because as listener Gretchen noted, one of my, my arguments is that we all have to do it in the way that's right for us. And I'm mentioning this because Father's Day is coming up. And um, along with 40 Ways to Look at Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. every year I realize that many people have received Better Than Before as a Father's Day gift. So mm. I just offer this if you are looking for a gift for a father in your life. It seems that people often have decided that better than before um, makes for a good Father's Day gift. So I hope that you and or a father mm. in your life enjoy that book, which I certainly love writing. And now our Try This at Home tip. And Elizabeth, okay, this is one that you and I both really need to follow. Yes. And that is to stop asking responsibility shifting questions. Yes. So explain what this is, although people may just get it from the yeah. from the way what you just said. Well, I had this insight. I was standing in my own kitchen and I realized that I have a bad habit of asking questions, particularly of my husband Jamie, but you know, not always to him, where what I'm really trying to do with a question is I'm trying to shift responsibility for some decision or some information gathering onto someone else. Yeah. Like, for example, asking, should we bring an umbrella? Yeah. Look, why would I ask that question of Jamie? Jamie never wants to bring an umbrella unless it is like just torrential downpour. He's always like, why would we bring an umbrella? Why do I ask him? Because if I do what he suggests and don't bring it, then I can sort—I sort of can blame him if we need an umbrella. But that doesn't do any good. I sh- now, I, you know, I should just bring an umbrella if I think I need it, and just not even raise the question. Or what I do often is I'll say to him, "What time should I leave for the airport?" Or "What time should we leave for the airport?" But I'll ask him what time I should leave for an airport. Where all I want is for someone—I I just don't like the mental work of being like. I'm going to LaGuardia or Newark or JFK and I should allow this much time. And if I want to get here this much early and what's the traffic like, like in New York city, there's so many variables. I just want him to figure it out. But why should he have to do that mental work? I'm just trying to lighten my load. Yeah. I think this really falls into two categories. It's the asking a question to try to get someone to do something. So that would be like, what time is our flight on Tuesday? And you're trying to get someone to go to the computer or their phone and actually look up something, right? Right. Or do something. Or did someone empty the dishwasher or something like that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Then there's the sort of... Yes, exactly. It's actually a hint or like trying to like prompt somebody into like a chain of events that will let you off the hook. Right. Like, is it cold in here? And then hopefully that person will get up and turn up the heat. 
right? Yeah. And then there's the judgment call, right? That's what you were saying, the decision-making, the judgment call. And that's what I think I'm way more guilty of because it's just not wanting to take mental responsibility for a decision, right? Well, and, and once you say that, it's sort of there's two parts to that as well. One is making the decision. And then it's also because I am a big blamer. Yeah. It's getting to blame somebody if the decision is wrong. Yes. Whereas if I make yes. the decision and I make the wrong call, I bear the blame. But if somebody else did it, then I could be like, oh, well, it was somebody else's decision. Not that any of this is consciously going through my mind. It's just only recently have I realized that I have fallen into this pattern. Yeah. So Gretchen, I was saying at the open of the show that I have a brand new example of Mm, this. Yes. That it was just funny because I realized as I was doing it exactly what I was doing because we had just had this conversation. Yeah. So Nacho, our corgi, just had surgery, and it's the whole thing of, well, that he shouldn't, you know, have any activity for two weeks, and which is a right. long time for a dog not to and have And he's very active. He's a very and active, he's extremely playful active. So dog. Yeah. I just found myself, I kept saying to Adam, like, do you think Nacho's okay to be off the leash now? Like, oh. should we stop making Nacho wear the cone? Like... Is it okay if Nacho and Daisy play together? Well, Adam has zero more information on this subject than I do. He knows nothing more about dogs and (laughs) surgery than I do, right? We are both seeing Nacho. We are, you know, we have the same pamphlet from the vet. (laughs) And yet I wanted him to say, yes, Nacho's fine now. You can let Nacho out. Again, like you're saying, then if I let Nacho out and play and something happened with his stitches, it wouldn't be my fault. So I just had to laugh at myself. Right. And it's also sort of fishing for somebody to tell you what you want to hear. Yes, it's a leading, often these are leading questions. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. And I realize often I don't like to text, like I'll do it if I have my phone right there, but I don't love it. So I will often say something to Jamie, like, does Eleanor know what time we need to leave? Mm. Because a lot of times he'll be like, no, and then he'll just text her. So Ah. again, it's like trying to get somebody to do something without asking them directly, but just sort of prompting them. Yeah. One that's common in our house is, does Jack have free dress day tomorrow? Because he wears a uniform, but, you know, sometimes they can wear whatever they want to school and it's hard to keep track. And again, I'm hoping that if I say, does Jack have free dress day tomorrow? He'll say, oh, let me look. Right. Right. But I will say Adam is fairly like hip to this whole thing. And he'll often just say like, oh, I don't know. And then it's like, well, back on me. Right. He's good at putting the question back. But I mean, that's a good point, though. If someone is doing this to you, if they're like politely asking questions as a way to really try to prompt you to do something like the whole thing, like, do we have any salt, which is really supposed to make you get up and bring the salt to the table right? or like whatever it might be that you can always just say, I don't know. Or you can just sort of deflect the question. Just because somebody asks you a question doesn't mean you need to answer the question. And I heard a snappy answer to this with someone saying, you know, we all have the same Google. Meaning, Uh, why are you asking me a question where the way I would answer that question is I would look it up. Yes. But like you're saying, you have the same pamphlet from the vet. It's like we all have the same Google. And so why does somebody get to pose a question to you, which is then your own little research project? If if they are the ones that want that research project done. Yeah. Can I tell you a really funny example of this phenomenon in my yes. house? 
Yes. Very often in the morning, Adam will say to me, what's the weather today? Yeah. And then I'll say, hey, smart speaker, whose name I don't want to say because it'll activate everybody's <laughs> yeah. smart speaker. Yeah. 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 What's yeah. the weather today? So right. literally, it would have been just as easy for Adam to ask himself yes. as it was to ask me because it's the right. same sentence. But right. yet, it's for some reason, it seems easier to him to ask me, which right. I just find yeah. funny. Yes. But and then on the other side, though, I think one thing to keep in mind about this issue of question asking is that some time ago, I remember you were saying how this was a way that you kind of initiated engagement. And I'm sure I do this, too, where it's not that you really are that interested in an answer or trying to get somebody to do something. It's just a way to have a low level, pleasant conversation. So you ask some question yes. just to start an exchange. And yes. I think that's valuable. Yeah. No, I definitely do that all the time where I ask a completely unnecessary question just to kind of connect. And here's it's the thing. thing, like, and I know this because I'm married to a questioner, is like, it might be many people don't particularly like to be asked questions. Questioners often don't like to be asked questions. I, you know, I know it's ironic, but it's true. And by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to GretchenRubin.com slash four tendencies, F-O-U-R, and you can read all about upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels there. But some people don't like being asked questions. So I do think it's something to be aware of. If it's sort of a strategy that you yes. use with a good intention, but for someone else, it kind of rubs them the wrong way, it's probably worth reconsidering that pattern because yes. if, if one person, it just makes them kind of irritable, it's not going to lead to a good, a good engagement. Yes, this is a very good point. And that's something I should focus on because I definitely bug Adam all the time with my unnecessary questions. <laughs> Right, because he might say, like, that's a totally unnecessary question, but you're like, but the point of it is just to have a conversation, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's something about being asked questions. The, the funny thing is, is this turns out to be really complex. When you start thinking about yes. question asking, it turns out to be complex. Rich, you think it's just you ask a question if you need some information, but it turns out there's a lot going on with questions. Yes. So, let us know if you do try this at home and how it works for you to stop asking responsibility shifting questions. Does this ring true for you? Like, Elizabeth, the minute we started talking about it, you and I, like, we could, we were full of oh, examples of yes. how we do this. Yes. But, you know, is this just our thing? Let us know. What questions do you ask? Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes. This is happiercast.com slash 382 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we have a clutter control happiness hack. But first, this break. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. 
And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now it's time for a happiness hack. Yes, this comes from Teresa. She says, I wanted to add to the clutter control hacks. Use charity or secondhand shops as a rental service. So when you need that extra large salad bowl for that one party a year, go buy it from a charity shop and then donate it back when you're done. Especially for entertaining, there is always a large selection secondhand, so there's very little worry that you won't find the thing you need. The charity gets some extra money and you get to keep the space. What a great idea. I mean, this is all about reframing instead of thinking like, oh, I'm going to buy this extra large punch bowl Mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like, I'm going to rent it. I'm going to take it out and then I'm going to give it back. Yes. It's right. Like you keep your shelves clear. The charity makes money. Everybody wins. So great idea. And now for an interview. Today, we are so happy to be talking to Russ Laraway. Now, I got to know Russ uh, through my old friend, Kim Scott, because together, Kim and Russ had a terrific podcast, Radical Candor. Russ Laraway has had a diverse 28-year operational management career. He started out as a company commander in the Marine Corps. He has worked at companies like Google, Twitter, Candor Inc., and Qualtrics. Over the years, he has managed huge teams and worked with big businesses facing a vast array of leadership challenges. In his new book, When They Win, You Win, Being a Great Manager is Simpler Than You Think, Russ explains how to cultivate a happy, productive, and engaged team and why it matters. We wanted to talk to Russ about his book because working well is such a happiness booster. And he argues in his book that being a great manager or working for a great manager is a huge factor in happiness and success at work. Welcome, Russ. Hello. Hi, Russ. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Hey, what's up, Liz? Hi, Gretchen. How are you? Good, good. Oh, Russ, there's so much to talk about in this book. Let's jump in. 
One of the things that I was so astonished to read in your book was this big survey that showed what a significant influence managers have on engagement. It said that immediate managers matter more than the immediate team, compensation, benefits, company values, how fun it is to work there, workplace flexibility, and career advancement. So why is it that the immediate manager is sort of the key factor in people's happiness and engagement at work? Yeah, I think the simple answer to that question is because it's the manager who has the most contact with the employee of, you know, if you Uh think about, if you think about the other things that are in play around compensation or benefits, um, things like that, for example, those, um, they're touch points, right? The the employee is clearly being paid every other week. Um, The employee employee clearly participates in benefits, but those things don't change much. Um, Once Mm. those things are settled, they're just sort of they're just sort of there, um, but for every single thing that happens at a company, for every result the company's trying to deliver, those results are nothing more and nothing less than the sum of the results of all the employees. And it turns out that the manager um, is the person most likely to create or destroy the circumstances under which those employees can do their best work. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's another related stat. Um, where that came from Gallup, where they say the manager explains 70% of engagement. Mm. So it's very, very close cousin to what you said. And the idea there is that in very large data sets, if you observe a variance in engagement and you trace that back, like why did it change? You find that 70% of that change is uniquely and statistically explained by the manager. So yeah, I tell people all the time, Gretchen, that managers are holding the keys. So choose your drivers carefully and renew their licenses frequently. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because the fact is we're, we're all either a manager or being managed or both simultaneously often. So yes. this is something where it matters to us in both directions uh, a lot of the time. Yeah. And every single manager in the world once wasn't a manager. So, right. yeah. so even if right now you're just someone being managed, there's a, there's a chance in the future that you'll, that you'll be a manager. Yeah. Well, and Russ, you say for happy, motivated employees and excellent business results, um, there are three key elements of that leadership, direction, coaching, and career. So can you take us through those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and these are these are pretty carefully developed ideas, right? They're presented simply, direction, coaching, career, easy to remember, easy to grasp onto. Worth noting that these are derived from actually a fairly elaborate you know, multi-year sort of study around the things that actually, the behaviors that actually matter. To take you through them, direction is really, it's in the book I cover a four-part framework, but really what it is, is about making certain, not kind of certain, but absolutely certain that each person on your team knows exactly what's expected of them and when it's expected by. Mm. I think a lot of managers believe their employees know that, but it's actually Uh. extremely common that employees aren't crystal clear about what's expected of them. Um, And everything kind of starts there. The next one is coaching. Um, Coaching is just, it's, it's really, it's about feedback or guidance, you know, sort of pick your word. I like coaching because coaching feels more energetic, right? Mm, The idea you're, you're, you're on the field with the players and coaching is always about helping people be better, right? Especially in an athletic context, whereas feedback sometimes doesn't always, it should be that, but it doesn't always feel that way. Um, we're coaches. We're not cheerleaders. We're not on the sideline yelling, good job. We're, we're in there helping people to be better. And really along two lines, what can you improve? So that might be considered like hard feedback. And what should you continue doing? 
Mm. Um, which is actually, you should do that five times more than the, than the improvement coaching and is really highly leveraged. And then last is career. I think a lot of managers make the mistake of thinking about the relationship with their employee is just this tiny little window where we're together, where you're on my team. And what is that going to be? Two, three years these days? It's not a lot of time. That employee's on a much longer trajectory, long before they got to you, long after they're gone. And it is your job as a manager to help enable that full trajectory. It's like a gravity assist slingshot in every space movie. I don't know if you've seen that before, but um, the mission's in jeopardy. We're running out of fuel. Mm. Things have changed. And we're going to use the planet's gravity to launch ourselves into the far reaches of space. I believe the manager's job's exactly the same as that gravity assist slingshot. Your job is, while that employee is with you, your job is to help launch them into the far reaches of their, their career. I wouldn't launch them into space, but into the far reaches of their career. Um, so that's it, direction, coaching, and career. It's about crystal clear expectations. Coaching's about helping people have short-term success and career's about helping people have long-term success. So Russ, one of the big ideas that you have is this career conversation. You know, what is a career conversation? Um, why is it so important? And I was so excited in your discussion of career conversation. You were talking about Anne Mercogliano, duh, who I, is brilliant and who I work with now. So uh, explain about this like career conversation concept. Yeah, it's a, it's a model. It's really three conversations. And it kind of began with a simple piece of advice that I got from Sheryl Sandberg, which was you have to have a long-term vision and a short-term plan. And so the vision is actually the most important part. And that's the, actually the second conversation in the model. And the basic idea is that if you and your employee can develop a shared understanding of just really the vision, just think of it like your dream job. Mm -hmm. If you develop a shared understanding of your dream, not your 10-year plan, not your five-year plan, that's old stuff that doesn't like these time hacks are not meaningful or useful. Mm. But what is the dream? Your best guess. We're not chiseling this on your headstone, right? <laughs> it's your best guess. And so once you know the dream job, that enables you to take much more relevant action in partnership with your employee today, right? And so if someone asks me for career advice, Gretchen, I can't give you a shred of advice if I don't first know what your dream is. Otherwise, yeah. it's just, what is it? It's my opinion. I'm projecting. Um, I have some maybe guesses about what would be good for you, or maybe this is about what would be good for me, right? It's really, it's really complicated. So you can't really help somebody in their career unless you know, have some understanding, a shared understanding of what long-term uh, vision is. So those are, the, those are the second and third conversation. Get clear on the vision, develop a career action plan, which are the tangible steps we take right now to help bring you toward your long-term career vision. And then the first conversation, actually, I added last. That's why I kind of cover it last. That's called the life story conversation. Mm. What I realized was I needed a better way to understand what people deeply value in their careers. And if I would just ask folks, hey, what do you value? Um, a lot of times they would, not intentionally, they would actually kind of lie um, because they hadn't really thought about it. Or maybe because I was the, their manager's manager, there was this power differential that made them feel like they needed to say something impressive. And, um, and so I realized I wasn't getting great answers and it mattered a lot when we were developing vision and we were thinking about what people should do in their careers. And so I started to just ask people about their life story. And through that, what I would do is I'd probe the pivots. So it turns out that whenever people make a meaningful change, by the way, even dating all the way back into grade school and middle school hmm. sometimes, um, when people make a meaningful change, that usually gives you an indication 
about something that they value. And so you facilitate this, what do you love about that? What did you hate about that? Why did you choose that major? You know, there's all these rich questions you can ask. And at the end of the conversation, you have this really clear understanding of, call it a half a dozen to 10, what I would call core values that this person values in their career. And that's a really nice guidepost for us to carry through the rest of the model. So those are the three conversations, life story conversation first, then working to develop a shared understanding of the long-term dream between employee and manager. And then once you understand both those things, putting it into action with short-term, even the smallest actions to help that person make tangible progress toward their long-term dream. Well, it sounds like maybe even if your manager isn't doing this, you you could do this on your own. You could ask yourself. You already know your yeah. life story, so you could skip one. Um, or maybe it's worth reflecting on those pivot points, but then going to two and three, because we can't always have the manager doing what we would like, but it, it still sounds like a very valuable exercise in self-reflection. Yeah, because ultimately I, I wrote the book, you know, the prime audi primary audience is a manager. I wrote this section for the manager, but you're spot on. Any person can do this for themselves. And I think the way you said there's maybe I'd offer two different prescriptions. The one you offered, Gretchen, is correct. You can go and do your own visioning and develop short-term actions um, that help take you there. I think what might be slightly more powerful is, you know, go grab a friend even. Mm. It doesn't have to be a manager, but mm. having a thought partner to go mm -hmm. through this with. Right. Actually, Push one of the you. things that happens in the life story conversation is, and you, you, you almost got there, I could tell, is you actually do a lot of self-discovery. Um, I had this, this one woman one time, she said, um, I, she, she, she'd laid out something, she changed kind of hobbies in high school. She went from cheerleading to swimming. And she said, and I love swimming so much more, you know, something like that. And I stopped and said, well, why was that? And she, she stopped and she tilted her head and she said, huh, I never really thought about that. And then she articulated why. And it turned out to be one of the most important things she values in her career, which was really about tangible outcomes mm. coming from the hard work. She wasn't getting that in cheerleading, but she got it in swimming with podium and times and things like that. And so I think the life story is, is valuable. And so if your manager's not doing this work with you, my, my strongest recommendation is just grab a friend and, and do this for each other. In fact, when I train it, I train it in pairs with peers. Mm. I, don't, I don't always have a manager and direct report yeah. relationship in the room. And so, so no, reason, no reason you can't go to the coffee shop with your, with your pal or jump on a Zoom with your friend or a relative and, and kind of go through this with them. That is a great idea. Yes. Russ, I love seeing you mention the four tendencies in the book. Uh, that was very exciting. And so I know your tendency, you're a questioner. And I would have guessed that because like many questioners, you had not been talking long before the word arbitrary came up because that is like, <laughs> like a red flag, like a big, big sign that someone is a questioner. And do you see that in your life? I mean, your whole book basically is like, why can't we do this better? There has to be a better system. Like, let's think this through, use the data. Um, so does, does being a questioner yeah. resonate with you? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I, um, I'd, say, I'd say two things about that. One related to the book. Um, you know, I've been, I've been by almost any, I've been a good manager. You know, I, I don't know another way to say that. 28 years, Marines, Google, Twitter, Qualtrics. Um, and that wasn't sufficient for me to write a book. You know, I guess I probably have some good opinions, you know, but I, but that wasn't enough. I needed to develop evidence. That's, that's I think, the questioner in me. Mm -hmm. um, I just yes. don't think the world needs another person's opinion about how to be a great manager. The second part is, I, I have to say, and I don't know if you like this framing, but I'm, I'm very aware I am exhausting to be around. Oh, mm. yeah. 
Yes, that um, is that is often noted about questioners. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so we had a we had a, an interesting sort of story in the family recently where um, my sister in law who lives nearby wanted me to come to some event, and I asked why. And it bothered her that I did. And, um, and my wife, who, they're, they're sisters. So, so believe me, I understand the Liz Gretchen dynamic really mm-hmm. well, given my sister-in-law lives, you know, five miles away. Um, and my wife had, you know, when we were kind of talking it through, my wife had said, oh, yeah, I guess I've just become kind of used to and numb to the constant questioning of every single thing that we wanted to, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so it's, it's showing, it shows up all the time. And I, I've, I've tried to become more conscious and sort of pick my spots, you know, recognizing just how um, some people just want to talk and they want to dish and they want to, you know, they want to sort of, they, they don't want maybe a lot of accountability in those moments. And so I've tried to learn to spot those times and when to sort of dial it back. But yeah, it's become, it's become, it's become a, a something front and center in my life, sometimes challenging, but sometimes leading to maybe better outcomes like the book. And Russ, we always ask our guests for a try this at home tip, something simple that we can put into practice to make our lives better. Do you have a tip? Yeah, the simplest one is um, I'll just, uh, I don't mean to plug the book, but just if you want more plug details. Plug away. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. It's chapter 10, page 118. It's called Coaching the Boss. Right? Yes. So I know, I know a lot of your listeners are, um, are, are not managers. And so, um, and sometimes you're frustrated with what you're not getting from your boss. And there's a four step process there. So step one is account for your risk. And what this means is if you work for a retaliator, don't even just stop, don't bother, Mm -hmm. um, polish up your resume, resign, go find a better manager. Mm -hmm. That's step one. Step two. And I think really important and often skipped is gather your boss's unique context. And so it turns out that a lot of times we think our bosses don't know anything, but they actually maybe do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they, if this thing you want to talk to them about, you got to check and see what do they think about it? What do they know? What are they, are they intentionally deprioritizing it? Cause they think it's not that important. Are they completely unaware that it's going on, et cetera. And you just want to sort of gather and see like, does this really matter as much as I think it does? Or, um, if the boss isn't seeing or the boss doesn't think it matters, maybe I need to highlight for them that it does, you know? And so gather your boss's unique context. Don't assume your boss doesn't know anything. Um, third is ask permission. Hey, boss, I see this thing a little differently than you do. I'm wondering if you'd be open to me sharing uh, my thoughts. If the boss says no, go back to the polish your resume and get a new boss um, mm. part. If the boss says yes, which they'll do most often, I think now step four, it's, it's uh, Nike. You know, just do it. Mm-hmm. You're sort of obligated because you have something that can help you and your boss be more successful. And I think, I think we have an obligation to always try to help those around us be successful. So those are the four yeah. steps um, to coaching up the boss. And I think if you if you take this on, you can maybe get a little more sanity or a little more happiness into your work life every day. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Russ. This is such thank helpful you. insight into happiness at work. Awesome. Thank you both very, very much for having me. It was a real treat. Wonderful. Coming up, I give myself a dog-related demerit, but first this break. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. 
Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has green light. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hut chore? Mm-hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for Demerits and Gold Stars, and this is an episode where it's your turn to give a demerit. Yes, so Gretchen, my demerit is, you know, we have our two corgis, Nacho and Daisy, and Adam and I, I may have even given us a gold star for taking them to training class. We were going every Saturday. Um, Well, the class ended, and the problem is that Adam and I have very much slacked off on Mm -hmm. our training, so... We've all done it. (laughs) We got the tools. We know what to do. But are we implementing it? Uh, Largely, the answer to that is no. So I'm hoping and giving myself a demerit, I will remind myself that we want to get our dogs better trained. And I know it's better for them, not just for us. They're happier. So I really need to get back on that bandwagon. So I have the summer of health, but I should probably also have the summer of dog training. Uh, Well, it's funny because, you know, I love Proverbs of the Professions. And by the way, if anybody has any Proverbs from their professions, please send them to me because I just can't get enough. But one of them from a dog trainer is the proverb, it's never the dog's fault. Yes. You know, if there's a training issue, it is your fault, not the dog's fault. And I I, I think of that with Barnaby often. It's like, it's not the dog's fault. Yes. Um, I need to to get back into it. So goals. (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Gretch? <laughs> what is your gold star this week? I want to give a gold star to the guards at the Metropolitan Museum. Mm. So because for my book about the five senses, one of my most fun exercises is I go to the Met every day that it's open, which these days is six days a week. 
And so I have been spending a lot of time around guards, and I have to say I am in awe. I have such admiration for their tremendous patience because, you know, when you're in the Met as much as I am, how many times have I heard somebody say, where's the nearest ladies room? You know, a bazillion. Mm-hmm. And you're like, speaking of, we all have our own Google. It's like, we all have our own signage. Like, you could look for the signs. Yes. Um, or, you know, how do I find my way to the portrait of Van Gogh with a straw hat? I mean, you know, and you're like at the, you're in the, you know, Egyptian wing. And it's like, how do you explain to somebody how yeah. they're going to go all across the museum? And they are so, and then a lot of times people are, you know, more and more now people are tourists. So English is not their mm. their first language. And so, and they're speaking through masks. And so it's challenging. It's yes. not just like you're pointing your finger down a hallway and they are unfailingly so patient mm. and so good humored and so open to it like they they're not like you know <laughs> looking right. off the other direction like, hoping somebody will slink away yeah no they're very they're very open to it and they're in there um i think it's a very demanding job i'm sure it's a physically demanding job and so i just want to give a gold star to them for right. how much they add to the atmosphere of the of the met by just being these very helpful companionable presences where it, it could be i'm sure it's very challenging to to stay so patient nice and the resources for this week. On social media recently, I asked people about their summer aims. We've been talking a lot about Design Your Summer. And many people, no surprise, have aims related to rest. Hashtag rest22 and 22. Um, if you're joining us in rest22 and 22, or you want to start the summer, I have created some handy resources to help you track your progress. It is at GretchenRubin.com slash resources under podcast. So you can check off each day as you go and give yourself a gold star. Also, if you are looking to add to your personal happiness project, I have a shop. Elizabeth, you've been on me for mm-hmm, so long to yes. have a shop. I've got journals, apparel, drinkware, organizational tools, my tackle box, which I love, the memento box, which is one of my favorite things. Um, they're all designed to, in some ways, support everybody uh, on their own happiness project to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. So check that out at happiercast.com slash shop. And what we are reading, Elizabeth, what are you reading? I am finishing Lost and Found in Paris by Leon Dolan. And I am reading The Absolute Book by Elizabeth Knox. And Elizabeth, inspired by your love of audiobooks, I am listening, which I rarely do, but I am listening to Rogue Protocol, Hmm. The Murderbot Diaries 3 by Martha Wells. So glad you're listening, Gretch. Yes, and that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Resist asking responsibility shifting questions. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our guest, Russ Laraway. Read his terrific book, When They Win, You Win. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like this show, give us a review, especially a five-star review. You know how much we love those gold stars. And reading reviews from other listeners really helps people to discover the show. If you need a link for instructions about how to give a review, I will post them in the show notes. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Elizabeth, when you got dogs, I didn't think about the fact that now that we're recording at home, uh, the 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 
dogs barking was going to be such a thing. Yes, and corgis are known for their very high-pitched piercing bark because they needed to be (laughs) able to herd cattle who were like 150 times their size. So it's a particularly loud bark. Well, it's not a bug. It's a feature. That's right. If only we had some cows to herd. (laughs) Yeah. From the Onward Project.